on what is man or human. Uh, humans have desired to know about themselves, so they study um, basically all academic uh, academics. Um, all studies are about humans, so biology, psychology, sociology, economics, history, uh, political science, arts, everything is about humans. And, um, and this is, uh, it originates with the fact that men desire to know about themselves. Uh, and to do that, not, not only do they study humans, but they also study um, animals to learn, about, learn more about humans. They study bugs. Uh, I told you about flies. They study all kinds of living creatures to learn more about humans, what humans are, how they are made, how they function, how they live, how they survive. Um, the reason why they want to know about themselves, the reason why we want to know more about ourselves is to be happy. If we know more about ourselves, um, we can help ourselves improve and find happiness. And especially in the American society, um, Bestseller books are self-help books. So if you go to the bookstores, you can look at religion, music, all these you know, sections. But one of the biggest sections in American society, and I say American because American, America is built on individualism. So uh, this idea that you can improve yourself, pull yourself by, by the uh, bootstrap. So self-help book uh, or books are very popular. Do it yourself, um, the DIY channel. Uh, cooking channel, travel channel, whatever. All these um, you know, uh, channels are available. Uh, mediums are available for, uh, media are, are available for men to improve themselves, to be happy. Um, so when you ask somebody, who are you or what are you, they usually tell you uh, their name, right? So um, usually what's your name is the way we uh, introduce ourselves or ask uh, for the other person's identity. So they give their name. Well, and if you go further, you know, when you think about application forms, uh, your gender, your sex, male or female, um, your address, where you, where you live, how much money you make. So all those things make, uh, they describe who you are. Um, and if you go further, your last name gives away uh, your family background, your history. And if you go to the doctor's office, you give medical history. So you talk about what kind of problem your mother or your grandmother had. So all of that tells... Uh, others about who they are. But these are all identities that others give you. These are aspects of identity that others tell you. Not you not, um, these are not um, parts of who you are that you have come to understand on your own. So sociologists call that ascribed uh, identity. Someone else gives you. They give you. They label you who you are based, based on uh, your uh, physical uh, aspects. The reason is uh, nobody knows uh, who he is. You know, no man knows for sure who he is on his own. Um, like I said uh, last week, the human vision itself is limited, so there's no way for us to see ourselves, see the back of our heads, uh, see what's behind us. Um, and even our face, we really don't know what we look like uh, if it weren't for pictures and iPhones and uh, mirrors. So you look at the mirrors to, to see who you are, what your face looks like. But you've never seen your own face. You know, you can take a big picture, like the Zoe picture with 300 people, and you can find your face like, that's me. Oh, my God, I closed my eyes. Nobody else cares about you, but you care about yourself. Oh, my God, my eyes are closed or I'm behind somebody else. So you can see your face right away, and you don't need to figure out who you are. You know who you are. But how do you know who you are? 
because of pictures, uh, because of mirrors, because of um, before they had mirrors, they had water. So they would look at water, reflection through the water to see their faces, uh, not because you can see your own face. So even your own face, which is, which is so intimate, you don't even know. Um, and there are some stories about people who get face transplants. Can you imagine getting somebody else's face? I read this article about the, it's an amazing story. Uh, this guy got electric, um, electric shock. So he, his nerves all died. So the doctors had to take it off before it rot, you know, because it would rot. So the nerves will stop working and the muscles will start move, stop moving. And it's not just that, it's all infected. So the whole face died. So they peeled the whole face off. The guy did not have any face, and he was waiting for face, facial transplant. And uh, this is totally, you know, not new, but it's, it's a very risky and still developing medical field. So people had transplanted arm, uh, hands, but it didn't work out. And people usually get psychological problem. You know, this hand does something else that they don't want them to do. So um, uh, things like that. So face, uh, and this man lives with someone else's face now. Uh, who had died. So they had to time it, you know, somebody who died, and they had to bring the face in a Rubbermaid Tupper, Tupperware, Ziploc bag, and then they bring it to the OR. They had to go one, two, three, and put it on the face, connect the arteries and the nerves, and the man has new face. He has to take antibiotics and drugs for the rest of his life. But another thing is he has new identity because he has to live like this face for the rest of his life. And so I think it's very, very interesting because our identity comes from what we look like skin color and our height, however we uh, appear. But uh, even, even so, that's not who we are. Our parents, do they know who we are? Do our ancestor know, ancestors know who, they, uh, who we are? Well, they have the same problems that we do. So they don't know who they are. They can't tell us who we are. Um, and that's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us we don't know who we are, yet the Bible knows where, who we are because God knows who we are. God tells us where we come from and who we truly are. So when you look at um, the genealogy of Jesus in Luke 3, 20, uh, 23 to 38 and Matthew 1, Matthew starts with uh, Abraham, goes all the way down to Jesus. Um, and Luke 3 starts with Jesus, goes all the way back to Adam and to God. And uh, so what does that tell us? Adam, being the ancestor of all men, came from God. So in Luke 3.38, it says the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, and then the son of God. So if you trace back every generation all the way to Adam, then we go to God. Because Adam came from God. Adam was made by God. So uh, the Bible is a roadmap um, to show us where we come from. You know, when you buy like Ikea furniture, it shows you how to make the stuff, how it's supposed to look. So it starts with like pieces of wood and nails and that annoying ranch thing. Ikea, you know what I'm talking about? The ranch thing that never turns. It's just so hard to crank. But anyway, because that's what you get. You get what you pay for. But you start from something that doesn't look like anything, and then you go to the end product, which is shelves, couch, whatever it is. So there it tells you clearly where things come from, how it's supposed to look. And the Bible is the same thing. It tells us where we come from. We come from God. And not only that, we are made in the image of God. Genesis 1 uh, verse 27 says that 
uh, we were created in the form, in the image of God. And then in Genesis 2, verse 7, we see God breathing his breath into the man, and the man became a living being. So first, in Genesis 1, we see God makes the physical man, the shell. And then in Genesis 2, to that shell, he fills it with a spiritual being. So the man is now not just one being, but two beings. There are two beings uh, to who I am, in other words. So we're going to look at the difference. There is the visible me and the invisible me. So assuming that you went through the stage of uh, uh, the world, you know, last week was about that there is another world besides the world that you know, that you feel, that you see. Not only that, that there is hell. And that hell is right here. So that was sort of the gist of the first um, stage. And if they say, well, okay, that's possible. That's probable. Okay, let's listen more. Let's, I, I'm willing to listen more. Then you have to go to then visible being and invisible being, the flesh, the material being, and the spiritual being. So when you, when you talk about me, you know, me, I am, me, that me person or me being are two, according to the Bible. And there is the visible being who is the flesh, the body. The invisible being is the spirit. And the visible being uh, was made from the dust of the ground. The invisible being, on the other hand, was made when God breathed his breath into the flesh. And the living being was made. The visible being has a limited existence, which means it has birth and death, and it is brief. So it's here today and gone tomorrow. The invisible being, on the other hand, is eternally uh, existing, or it, uh, it, it lives on beyond the physical death. So the visible being is like a clothing for the spirit. And the, the invisible being is the body. You know, it looks so simple in a table like this, and you've heard this all, uh, as long as you've been in Church of Jesus, but this is a big deal to switch this view. People don't change. Even being in our church for a very, very long time, it's very difficult to accept this as a truth and living, you know, living that, to make decisions for who you really are. It takes a very, very long time. But you know, we have to still explain to them. So we have the visible being and the invisible being. All your life, you thought that the visible you are you, but there's another you that you've been unaware of until you met me, right? So then you can say, so that is who you really are. Because when you compare, the, the visible being is temporary. It's not forever. Therefore, it's not true me. But the invisible being is the true me. It really is me that will always be me. So the true me is the eternal being. So that's the um, goal that you want to make uh, as you talk about what man is. There's so much more to talk about, but of course, this is the beginning. It's the beginning, and it's always the case. You know, preaching is all about that. Preaching is, uh, whether on the streets or from here, on the, from the pulpit, is to remind people that you are not flesh, you are spiritual beings, always. So you begin with this, and you continue for the rest of your spiritual life, church life, always being reminded who you are, who you really are. So the true me, number uh, A, is the spirit. 
the spirit inside of us is not, is not material. So it cannot be detected by x-ray machines or ultrasound machines. You know, with ultrasound, uh, uh, the doctors can see the fetus, the baby growing, and the mother's uterus. You can see, you can take pictures of the toes. It's amazing. Like by nine, uh, eighth month, like a couple weeks before the delivery, you can actually see the face of the baby inside the stomach with ultrasound. So the technology is there for pretty much everything inside the body. But uh, the spirit cannot be detected by anything. You can't take pictures of it. You can't um, send some signals to get image uh, because it's a spiritual being. Only spirit can detect spirit. So when you talk about, you know, someone who doesn't believe in anything, you know, he's a materialist man. All he believes in is the, are the things that he sees, and that's it. So then you have to make an argument that there is another world that he lives, that he is another being besides this physical being. And the very good example that you can use is, of course, dream. Humans dream. Now, of course, scientists also talk about dogs having dreams. So they say when dogs are sleeping and they go like this, they're dreaming. But they never told us anything, so how do we know? I mean, they never came up to us and said, woof, 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 woof. So that's all... You know, um, I, I saw this very funny cartoon thing, uh, Far Side, Far Side series. And in high school, I used to watch, read those things. It's very funny. And there's one thing that the owner is telling the dog. The dog's name is Ginger. And Ginger is always knocking down the trash. So the, dog is yell, uh, the owner is yelling at the dog, Ginger, I told you not to knock off the trash. How many times have I told you? How many times have I done that? Bad dog, bad dog. And the dog's sitting there. And the next picture, it, this is how the dog hears. Blah, 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 ginger. Blah, 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 ginger. Blah, 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 ginger. So they don't understand anything. And we don't understand what they're dreaming or whether they're dreaming at all. But humans, we know that we dream. We talk about dreams all the time. You know, we dream all the time, but we don't remember all the time. But the few times that we do remember, we like to share with people. Um, So we know that we dream. And uh, uh, psychoanalyst Sigmund Freud said, dreams are the... A manifestation of the subconscious, that there is the subconscious you, that you are thinking and walking and saying things unaware of this other um, thing that you think. But when you sleep, you go to all these places, you meet all these people, you do things that you would never imagine. And, and that's because, well, according to him and psych- psychoanalysts, it's because you thought about it, you desired it, and they show up. But what we uh, understand from dreams is that uh, they tell us that there is another us that we're not aware of, um, that there are activities of this other being that I am. Because dreams, when you go to bed, you can say, oh, I want to dream about uh, Disneyland. I don't know. If you want to go to Disneyland, I want to go to Disneyland. I want to dream about Disneyland. You go to sleep. But then you wake, you are dreaming, and you are in hell, fire of hell. This is not what I wanted. I was, I was hoping to go to Disneyland, but I'm in hell because it's beyond your control. There is no remote control. I don't like that. I'm going to switch to this channel, this channel. It doesn't happen. It's beyond your control. Um, so the dreams that we have are uh, realization or uh, manifestation of this sort of separate will, uh, another being with a separate will, free will, than that of our flesh. So it tells us that there's another me, 
that's completely uh, different from us. So you can actually have this conversation about dreams, uh, and people will be very interested about dreams, and they can say, okay, well, maybe that's my other thought, or maybe there is someone else. You know, so you can use that as an example. Another example that you can use is stories of people who experience the life after death. Usually these people, especially nowadays, who have experience of the life after death, whether it was hell they were in or heaven they were in, they usually write a book. So, and those books are usually bestsellers, New York Times bestseller. So that's what I did. I went to Amazon.com and I did heaven, or I went to heaven. There's like hundreds of books, hundreds of books. I died, but there was heaven. I was in heaven for 90 minutes. I was in heaven and back. You know, so they have all these titles. And the latest, um, well, before I show you, I want to show you little clips about, about those books. Um, but those stories are real. You know, people have experience of dying, medically being uh, pronounced as dead um, for 90 minutes, 14 minutes, an hour, but they come back. They come back to life, which is real, and then they talk about what happened while they were dead, and then they write a book about it, so, or, write, or make movies about that. So you can talk about these stories. You know, People can say, that's fake, it's not real, but they actually have this experience that they would give their life you know, because they're telling their truth, uh, that they, this is true experience that they had. So the latest that they, the experience that uh, we heard about, oops, oops, did I do it right? Go back. Since you're very hot and you might be hungry, I want to entertain you a little bit. So this boy, uh, his name is um, Colton Burpo, and he wrote a book called Heaven is for Real. You know how kids say, it's for real, for real. So he's, he wrote a book, Heaven is for Real. And his dad is a pastor, uh, and he's a pastor's son, and he, he, he has near-death experience. For those who aren't familiar with the book, although it has spent so much time at the top of the bestsellers, when Colton was four years old, he had a burst appendix, uh, appendix, had several surgeries, and having come through that, he started telling you guys about having seen heaven. What did he say, Todd? Well, I think his you know, stories have been incredible. He could see us where we were in the hospital while he was in surgery, so that first grabbed our attention because those facts, we didn't know how he knew them. And then he goes on to talk about a sister he met in heaven, my grandfather. And then, of course, he tells us what God looks like. And then the only painting of Jesus that he's ever said is right. Uh, the information that he shares is just pretty incredible. And, Sonia, one of the things that really stood out to you was that Colton seemed to know things that you had never told him. And after all, he was only four years old at the time. Yeah. He told us like, about our miscarried daughter and about a great-grandfather he'd never met and, and various other things. And Colton, it's been eight years now. It's a long time for anybody. Do you still have those vivid memories of heaven? Um, yes, I do. And what stands out most in your mind? What can you really still see? Well, the things I remember most are my family members and Jesus. Do you uh, worry at all that those memories... Um, he's saying that he went to heaven and he saw Jesus. He saw, I think, his dead sister and some of the grandparents. 
So that's best time, uh, bestseller right now. I'm just giving you examples so you can actually use it. You know, say whether they believe it or not, that's another story. But uh, there's another one that I want to show you. Remote. Okay, why is it not working now? To go to the next slide? It's not working. Here we go. This woman is a doctor. She drowned for 14 minutes, and he, she lives. Yungi, where did you go? You have to help me with this stuff. Obviously, she was miraculously rescued and is now telling her story in the book To Heaven and Back, the true story of a doctor's extraordinary walk with God. Joining us now is Dr. Mary Neal. Dr. Neal, great to have you. Thank you. Your book is incredible and it's inspiring um, because of all the messages that you say you came back with. Let's go back to the incident. You were kayaking in Chile and you got trapped in a waterfall. Your boat was overturned and you were on your head was under the water. What do you remember from that time? I remember at first trying to do all the things to get myself out of the boat. And when I realized that I wasn't going to be able to do that and I was going to drown, I asked only that God's will be done. And at that point, everything changed. I was held and comforted and reassured that everything would be fine. You had a feeling of being placid, of being serene, even I, though you were in this life-threatening situation. I was so comfortable and calm and really felt absolute bliss and joy. And, it was wonderful. And obviously, you were brought back to life after receiving CPR. I am the consummate skeptic. Okay, so she came back to life and she wrote a book. One day in 1989, Reverend Don Piper was jolted to an entirely different level of consciousness by a sudden event that would change his life forever. I drove across the lake onto an old bridge that's still there, and before I cleared that bridge, an 18-wheeler across the center stripe had hit my small car head-on, and I was uh, killed instantly. I'm very conscious of the fact that life can end at a fraction of a second. It happened to me. On a cold January day in 1989, Don Piper's life changed forever. I was coming home from a church conference in East Texas, uh, headed back to uh, Houston. At precisely 11.45 a.m., an 18-wheeler driven by a Texas state prisoner rolled over the small car at a combined speed of 110 miles an hour. Not only did the truck hit Don's car, it ran over the passenger side of the small Ford Escort completely crushing the vehicle and killing Don Piper. Instantly, Don began an amazing journey. I was immediately transported to the gates of heaven. 
and surrounded by people I had known in life who had preceded me. And um, I mean, they weren't complete in the sense that we are now, but there were, there were people there and I recognized them. I tell people it was a buffet for the senses. Uh, the aroma, the, uh, the sights, uh, the sounds. I heard the wings uh, that hovered above me. I heard music that I never heard on earth. And they were all singing glory to God songs, hallelujah songs, praise songs. And they were all doing them simultaneous and there was no chaos. Okay, so I know these are little long examples, but if you want to write those down, uh, you can use an example. But they've been New York Times bestsellers for years. And um, they are just examples of people going to hell, I mean, heaven and coming back. But if you want to YouTube hell, there's a bunch of people too. But I just want to show you a little bit to make it a little bit uh, more real. It's a little longer than I, I wanted. But anyway, so if you um, take these stories as true experiences, then they can actually give um, the argument that you are a spirit uh, a chance. So if they're completely closed in terms of their mind of, you know, there is no spiritual world, there is no life after death, how do you explain so many people experiencing something very similar? They can say, again, this is something that they dreamed of, but it can be possible, 50-50. Right? So those are good examples that you can use um, to convince the other person. So what's important is that if you are a spirit and you exist forever, um, either in heaven or hell, you can't quit your spiritual life. You can quit your flesh life, and people have done that and are still doing that. They take their own life and they exit whenever they want to, which is sin. But spiritual life, you can't cancel. You can't pay back. You can't uh, return it. You can't pause it. You're always living your spiritual life because your flesh life is living. Uh, your spiritual life is also living simultaneously. Now let's talk about man in terms of uh, man's constitution, how man is made of, what man is made of. B, human. It's slow. There you go. Let's go to Genesis 2-7. Genesis 2-7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Uh, the first thing that we need to know about man is that we are made in God's image. And that's what's written in Genesis 1, uh, verse 27. God made man in the image of God. Now, God does not have image because he is spirit. But the image that men were made in, man was made in, is that of Jesus. So, uh, it's not that Jesus took on the image of men when he came as man. Jesus didn't look down to the earth and say, what do humans look like? Oh, they have two legs and two arms. They, are, they stand upright. They have eyes in the front. That's not how it happened. That was the image that God made man in, in the beginning. Because that image was within God, in the beginning. And when it was time, that image was going to become flesh. And that's the son, that's Jesus. And that's why Jesus said to the Jews in John eight fifty six, before Abraham was born, I am. Because Jesus uh, is always, always there. Um, so when God made the man from the dust of the ground, the man had image. And into that man, um, God breathed his breath. His breath is not like our breath. Our breath is gas. Just gas. 
Sometimes it smells okay. Sometimes it smells bad because it's gas. It's toxic. We breathe out toxic. It's just normal. Morning breath, horrible stuff. So, <laughs> and um, that's because it's gas. But the breath of God is not gas. The breath of God is spirit because God is spirit. His breath is spirit. So everything that comes from him is spirit. So when God breathed his breath into the man that was made from the dust of the ground, who had the image of God already in place, the man then became a living being. Now, when the man became a living being, a lot, some, a lot of theologians say that the man was just a lump of dust, like a clay, Play-Doh. Uh, not thinking, not feeling, not doing anything. Just like that old movie that Pastor Kang always talks about, and I've seen it too a long time ago, that uh, when God made, there was that wind, whoosh, it's dark, and the tornado kind of stuff happening, and then the dust is getting carved out, right? And then it's in the image of man, and eventually the man comes up. So it, in, in that picture, uh, God breathed, breathed into the dust, pile of dust, and then man is walking and thinking and all that. But that's not what the Bible says. When you look at it very, very carefully, and as you learn in Logos, man was already thinking, feeling, talking, doing things. In fact, not just doing things like hunting and starting fire with rocks. That's not what he was doing. He wasn't like making wheels. He, they were making pyramids, things perhaps. They were making all these amazing uh, things to develop their civilization. And to one of them... God breathed his breath. So when he breathed the breath in the man, the man already had what's called the person or the soul. I'll talk about that more in detail. So when God breathed into him, that breath is called ruah. In Hebrew, ruah. Ruah is the breath of life. And the man became a living being, which in Hebrew is Adam. So the breath of God. I'm just writing in English. But it's Hebrew. All right, so Ruah, once the Ruah goes in, then the man became, becomes Adam. Until then, he's not called a living being or living spirit. He's just a man. But once Ruah goes in there from God, um, the man becomes, a, uh, uh, becomes Adam. Now let's talk about then the constitution of man. How is man made? How is man structured? So we're going to express the flesh in dotted line because um, it perishes. For some reason, writing on the board makes my circle squished. Um, so this is the flesh. And in the flesh, um, there is spirit, spirit, excuse me, spirit. And they are both beings. Wow, these are horrible drawings. I'm sorry. Okay. And there is person. So here's the flesh. And here's the spirit. And I'm going to draw it a little bit differently in one second. And this inside is called um, person. Or, I like to use the word person so it's not confusing with spirit or the soul. So, you know, when people say, 
yo, brother, you got soul. They're right, right? So you got soul. It's like you got rhythm. You got music in you, like jazz. You know, people who are in jazz, blues, or they know how to do music or art. They got soul, you know? So that, that soul is not a being, but they mean character, person. So uh, I'm going to explain more about this in a second. So this is the makeup of man. You can, of course, draw the flesh and then person, then spirit, right? The person out here. But the reason why I, I draw this way is because when man dies and is, resurrect, uh, is resurrected, then the spirit becomes the body. So it's not wrong. One way or the other, it's okay. But to me, I think this, is, this makes more sense uh, in, with the, uh, to convey the idea that the spirit becomes the body and the person, the, what makes you who you are, the uniqueness, unique quality of who you are stays with the spirit after you die, okay? But while you're alive, this is you, okay? So human, the makeup of human or man, so human or man is flesh plus uh, person plus spirit. And person is made up of three parts. Intelligence, emotion, and free will. So when man is alive, everything is functioning together. Even if the man is not aware of the spirit, that's what makes man, man. So I think I said this last week. Last, uh, last week, I said, we have all these three parts, but not all three parts are equal for all of us. Some of us have a little bit more of intelligence, but a little bit less of emotion. So everything is in the head, but you don't really feel it, right? Some of us are super emotional. It's like, ah, and they cry, <laughs> but they don't show up next morning. So they are very weak on the free will, right? So you can be very strong in free will. It's like, yes, I'm going to do it, and they do it, you know? They could, um, you know, lead a rebellion, revolt, or revolution, but they have no tears. They're like iron men. They have hearts of steel because they have very weak emotion, right? So all of us have different levels of intelligent emotion and free will. And what makes us who we are, what makes you and I different is this, okay? Even though these two are the beings, I'm going to talk more about that in a second too, but I'm going to just a uh, little bit more on the person. This is what makes us unique, so when you think about peppers, hot peppers, Koreans like hot peppers, uh, you know, Central Americans or South Americans, they love peppers to jalapeno, habanero, there's this different kinds of spice levels. But even among within one type of jalapeno pepper, not all jalapeno peppers are the same, as you know, right? Some of them are mild, while the others are spicier than other, uh, you know, the rest. So that degree of hotness is person. Okay, so some of us are hot, some of us are very cool. So that's what makes us um, very uh, different. So because we have intelligence, humans have been able to develop uh, civilization, build things, and uh, come up with morals and ethics, 
to maintain order in society. Um, because we have emotions, we have what's called the arts. Dance, film, music, fine arts, whatever, uh, architecture, all of those things uh, convey our emotion because we are emotional beings. Now, are we the only ones who have a person? Animals also have person. So some dogs are gentle, while the other dogs are very vicious. Um, but even one breed, you know, there are different breeds, Chihuahua, Pitbull, uh, and then golden retriever. You know, some dogs are really good with kids, for example, but pit bulls are not because they were bred to be, you know, so fight and fight to death. That's what, the, what pit bulls are about. But even among pit bulls, there are different kinds of personalities. So dogs do have personalities. Some of them are um, aggressive. Some of them are shy. So they have personality. Um, and they have intelligence. So they have a saying that um, you know, dogs will go wherever the owner goes. So when the owner moves, dog goes and is happy. When Pastor was saying dogs are doing this and they're looking out the window, as long as they're with the owner, they're happy. But cats are strange creatures because they're attached to not owners but homes. So after the owners move, cats remember and go back to their old home. Isn't that weird? So we have like cats in our backyard, hanging out in our backyard. So I think they maybe used to be around here or something, so they remember this uh, place. So cats are very bound to location. So they have some sort of um, level of intelligence. And some animals are more intelligent than some of us, like uh, dolphins. And some dolphins have IQ higher than, was 120? 150, 120, some of us are not that high. So uh, dolphins, some dolphins are smart. And I've seen dolphin tricks, they're really, really smart. And sea lions, sea um, seals, they do tricks at these parks and they do all kinds of stuff. They dress them in clothes and they hop. And then, you know, they, mm, they whimper like they're sad and they look like they're clapping. They do all that kind of stuff because they're smart. They, they uh, uh, train them. Yet, uh, they're not, good news, they're not as well-developed as we are all around, right? So they can be, dolphins can be very intelligent, but they don't have free will that we have. So um, humans are superior to that. So what animals have is instinct, but what humans have is called person. So let's talk a little bit more about the person. The person, or the soul, is what makes us unique, like I said, and the person is formed when flesh is formed, okay? So people say that when women are pregnant, they can feel the baby's personality. So if, uh, I don't know this because I only have one, but parent, moms who have many kids, they always say something different about their pregnant, you know, pregnancy experience. They say the baby was kicking all the time or the baby was like dead. Hello, are you in there? It's just very, very calm baby. So they say the personality is, uh, you know, obvious or clear uh, even from the time that they're in mother's um, body because the flesh around six months you know, uh, the flesh is formed, and with the flesh, the person comes about. So the person, yes, you can call it personality, characteristic, call it blood type if you want. So um, why do we always talk about blood type? Blood type is not the truth. It's not the truth of Jesus Christ. It's not. But I always joke, after the truth... It's the blood type that I always say. <laughs> it's because it's from my experience of dealing with people. Um, just immediately with Logos tests, I can group them by blood types. 
You don't have to tell me your blood type, but I'll group Uni and BS Kim in one pile. And yes, their mom too. But uh, the, the reason why I want to talk about them is their blood type A. And they write everything. They write everything down because they're so good. Oh, Peter's there too. They memorize everything. <laughs> they memorize everything. It's like, how do they do that? They have like photographic memory. So they, me- they remember everything. They're very, very observant. They have good memory. Uh, and that's their strength. Um, but then there are other personalities that are just so excited that they forget a lot of information. It's like, this person is oh because they were just so excited. They just skip this and skip that and go, I don't know, right? Five, number seven, I don't know, right? And then Bs, yeah, they, they try to do really well. And what I notice about B is that they, and I am one of them, they overestimate themselves. They think they're better than they are. So the problem with Bs, including myself, is that I'll be there 9 o'clock. Text a little bit. I'll be there at 9.30, a little bit later, 9.45. So we overestimate ourselves, and then we get so focused on one thing, we forget something. We always forget. So always leave out something on the test. A, B, I don't know. A, B, <laughs> right? Johan and Joe, I don't know you guys. So you guys are a bunch of confused people. Um, so <laughs> personalities. Uh, why do we talk about blood types? Because blood types are from the, uh, it's blood is from your flesh. So we think that it has a very close connection. I don't think it's like astrology, your you know, birth year, dog or bull. It does, I don't think that really makes sense. But blood, it seems like it has really connection, you know, strong connection with a person because blood comes from your flesh and blood really does drive the person. Whether you believe it or not, it's okay. But it's a good example. You know, blood types do show about personalities. And children do inherit personalities from their parents, whether it's through blood types or environment, they, but they do uh, inherit. So th- that shows us that we are very unique people. Yet uh, there are some common traits. That's why I'm saying blood type is a good example. We are all individuals, but we can group people by something similar. So I think it's funny, but it's also interesting, and there's a lot of truth to that. Let's go to First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there, the spirit, that all three parts are mentioned, spirit, soul, and body, the flesh. But we have to be very careful that we don't separate the three in terms of beings. These three are function, rather, not beings. So there are two divisions of who man is. Two divisions, two beings. It's the flesh, it's the spirit. How do we define a being or existence? They live or they die. So flesh lives or dies. Spirit lives or dies. So that's being, okay? But by function, there are three. The flesh, the spirit, and what's called the person or the soul, And again, the reason why I like to use the person for our sake in Logos or the seminar is um, to clarify uh, or differentiate because the soul uh, in the Bible also refers to spiritual being, right? But technically, the word soul is used when it's in combination with the person, 
So praise the Lord, O my soul, right? Praise the Lord, O my soul. You use your intelligence and your emotion and your free will to praise the Lord. So these are two, the soul, right? But just to talk about the function, I like to use the word the person, but they can be inter used interchangeably. So there are three functions, but two beings. Watchman Nee had um, theory He's a theologian, and he came up with a um, theory called the tripartite or trichotomy. Trichotomy or tripartite, which means tri, three, three parts. Um, theory of the constitution of man. That's his uh, dissertation, I think. Constitution of man. This is just a side, but uh, Watchman Nee teaches that, uh, and his followers believe that all three parts are beings. That's what's called tri-chi or tripartite. All three parts are uh, beings. So according to his theology, um, your spirit can be saved by the blood of Jesus, but if you don't repent, your soul, your person, can go to hell or go into this uh, purgatory type, you know, in between, somewhere he's going, to, the, the soul is going to suffer. So the spirit is heaven, uh, but the soul is maybe in dark place or even in hell. So he uh, differentiates all three and makes them all beings. But that's not what the Bible says. Again, we have to look at the whole Bible. We can't just look at one verse like that first uh, Thessalonians that we just looked at. Because there, it looks like there are three, spirit, soul, and body. But when you look at other parts, it's not three, it's two. Um, so in Romans, oops, sorry, so let me just show you this. So while we are alive, we are individuals. And when, after we're dead, we're also individuals. We're always going to be individual because the person is always going to be around. Did you guys all get this? Trichotomy, tripartite? Okay. So when we are alive, uh, we, we are individuals by person and flesh. So again, your blood type, your personality, whatever, um, determines who you are. You know, you are you. You're very unique because of that. But after death and after resurrection, the person doesn't disappear, even though it's not a being. It's sort of a color, color, right? So it's a shade that makes it like spice. It makes the person spicy or mild, you know, whatever. Uh, that remains intact with the spirit. So I drew the circle, right? So because uh, you may think that, oh, so after, when we go to heaven, are we all going to be the same? Are we just going to be like one we're not. We're going to be individuals, even in heaven, because we will still have our person. Okay? Again, even though the person is not being, it is very important to understand about person. Why? Because it's the person that determines whether you're going to believe or not. Right? Even though it's not a being, your personality, because you're too smart, you said the Bible is stupid. All right? Or you are so not emotional, so you don't receive grace. You don't even shed a tear when you say, Jesus died for me. All right? So your personality, your person, determines whether you receive the word or not. Or you're so darn lazy. 
so you can't get up, right? Because you have very weak free will. So then Jesus will say, I do not know you, you lazy and wicked servant, get out of here. So again, if you're lazy, you may not be saved. You're lazy, you will go to the dark place. Because again, the person dictates your spiritual life. So it is very important for you to understand what kind of personality you have, what strength you have, what weakness you have. So you can use your strength and really trying to fine-tune, you know, improve your weakness for your spiritual life. So in Romans 8, 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So there it says the nature and the Spirit. The nature refers to the flesh, the spirit refers to the Holy Spirit or your spirit. So you either do things to please your flesh or you do things to please your, flesh, uh, your spirit, one or the other. So in Romans, it, uh, it uh, differentiates. Go to 2 Corinthians 4.16. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. There the two beings are clearly differentiated. Outwardly person and inwardly person. So there is your outwardly, the flesh person, uh, being and then inward, the spiritual being. Okay, so to so then some people may ask what does your spirit look like? Right? If it's a being, it should have a, some sort of form and you're not like a blob or like gas. You, you are a being. So what does your spirit look like? You, the spirit looks like your body, so they match. Uh, so again, in heaven, we are not going to all look the same. We're going to be all different. But you don't have to worry because after resurrection or through resurrection, you can have extreme makeover, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later. So don't worry if you're not happy with your height, your weight, your face. It doesn't matter. You can do a remake makeover, all right, and get a beautiful body through the resurrection. So, amen. So through that, you. No, no, man, you are happy with the way you look? Good for you. But I'm looking forward to that day where I can be beautiful like Jesus. So that day we have form. So that body will be spirit. Um, so the soul is what makes the human being or the person uh, an individual. Uh, so we have to use this for our spiritual life, to use our free will, to obey, to follow through, to serve, I use our emotion to be blessed, to be moved, to be inspired, to use our intelligence to learn the word, to receive the word, to remember it, to speak it. All right? So all those three aspects are necessary. Let's talk about uh, living, the living being. God is spirit, and so are angels. But we don't use the word living being to describe God or angels. God is not living being. Neither are angels. Why not? Because they don't have flesh. So the spiritual uh, living, the living being refers to spiritual being inside the flesh. Okay? So that's the difference between us and angels and God, of course, is that we have flesh, even though we are spiritual beings. So the living being refers to that. Um, when the body dies, if the spirit is saved then it goes to paradise. But if it's not saved, then it's called unclean spirit because that spirit remains unclean. While the body's alive, the spirit has chance to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus through faith. 
But if it doesn't, if the spirit does not believe using the person, then the spirit remains unclean. So it just loses the flesh, the clothing. It's still unclean the way it was always. Then it remains, and we call them demons or just unclean uh, spirits. So the living being has a function to live forever, but it cannot live on its own. Like babies, you know, when the babies are born, humans take the longest time to wean, to walk. You know, horses, cows, blah, comes out, and they walk. They walk in hours. Hours they walk. They may take breast milk, but soon they're going to be like riding like the wind, right? But humans take a year, two years, maybe even three years to finish mama's milk, start walking and talking and functioning. It takes really, really long time. So the baby is very, very dependent. And similarly, the living being is soup, it is dependent on the word of God. All right, so the living being has function to live, but cannot live on its own because it needs to live by the word of God. Okay, the word of God is food. So in Genesis 2, 6, uh, that should be 16, 2, 16 to 17, God said to uh, Adam and Eve, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of it, you will surely die. So that word itself was food for Adam. Okay, so Adam, as long as he obeyed the word, he would live. The living being would live. But the moment he ate the fruit, which was the moment he rejected the word of God and ate the fruit, he died. The spirit died. Okay? And Jesus said, quoting Deuteronomy 8.3 in Matthew 4.4, 4, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what is the word? The word is food for the spirit. The word has life in it. You know, this is why, you know, the more you read the word, the more you hear the word, the more you use the word, the more you speak the word, the more life you have in your spirit. But if you don't hear the word, you don't live by the word, you don't read the word, you don't love the word, you don't speak the word, then you die. It's simple. So uh, the living being lives by the word. And that the word is the connection between God and man. You remember the, in Logos, right? So God is here and man is here, right? And this is the word, the mediator, right? So the connection between God and man is the word. Without the word, we have no connection. It's like the glue that brings the two of us together. So when God breathed Ruah, the breath of God, into Adam, Adam became a living being, but the breath itself has, it doesn't have the, uh, it's not an eternal being that gives life to the spirit forever. Once he was made a living being by the breath of God, Adam had to then, from the moment he was made a living being, live each day by the word of God. Baby's born, but it's not enough. He can't just stay like a baby lying down and live on his own. He has to eat from his mama. So the baby grows by the word, and Adam grows and lives by the word of God. So eternal life is that. Once we are filled with life in spirit while we are alive in flesh... Uh, we can receive eternal life through resurrection, um, and it's to live with God 
as our church defines it, joyfully, happily, gloriously, like God and with God forever. That's what eternal life is. So those who maintain and hold on to this life in their spirit can then receive eternal life. That's how it happens. Life in spirit first and eternal life. So we have to obey the word. How do we eat the word? We don't eat the Bible. We don't chew on the pages of the Bible. But, and we don't just listen. Listening is not enough. Because if you think about it, hundreds of people come to our church every Sunday, here and there, but not all of them eat the word. What does that mean? They have two ears to hear the word, the sound of the word, but they don't obey it. They don't live by it, so they don't eat it. They don't live by it. So we have to eat, uh, obey the word. That's how, that's how we live, the living beings. C, life and breath. So when you talk about life in the spirit, you're, you have to be able to distinguish the difference between life and breath. Life in the spirit and life in the flesh. So as a preacher, you ask them question, do you think you have life? And they're going to say, of course. Can you see that I'm alive? I'm taking vitamins. I eat dinner. You know, I, feel, I worked out two hours. I feel good. I'm full of life. Because they are not, uh, they're not clear on what the Bible calls life. And at times, the Bible calls different things life. Life in the flesh and life in the spirit. In English, they're all life. But in Hebrew and in Greek, they're used, the different words are used for life in the Bible. Um, and there are two types of life the Bible uses. Life in the Bible. Oops. Do I not have it? Maybe I don't have it. Okay. Life in the Bible. Uh, in the Old Testament, I'm going to just write in English because I don't know Hebrew. Nefesh and New Testament, I should know this in Greek, Suke. So if you want to just write it like Suke in English, Suke. And Suke and Nefesh, Suke is in Greek, Nefesh is in Hebrew, they both means, mean life but breath to be exact. So here today, gone tomorrow. You may live 90 years, or you may live 30 years, or even five days. Breath is here and gone. So um, that's, uh, both of those words refer to the breath in the flesh, life in the flesh. That's just for a moment. So in Jonah uh, 7, 7, it says, remember, O God, that my life is but a breath, but a breath. Because um, if you want to kill someone, and I hope you never do, but uh, if you do, it's seen in the movie, not that you tried. What you do is right after you go after the neck, right? So as soon as, or you put a pillow over their face. So if you put a pillow over their face, the reason why people die with a pillow over their head, face is because they can't breathe. So the moment breath is cut off, life is gone in the flesh. It's very, very vulnerable. Um, even though we build everything on you know, our, our life, we depend on our flesh every day. Um, but it depends on something very, 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 very um, uh, weak and, and uh, fragile, and that's breath. You know, once you cut up breath, it doesn't matter what you, how many you know, weights you've been, how much weight you've been lifting or how many hours you've been spending in the gym. It doesn't matter. You're gone. So uh, we, that makes us very, very um, vulnerable as beings. Without food, uh, men can live on average for 40 days. 
without water, uh, they say men survive seven days, women 10 days. Woohoo, we have up on that. We have a lot of water in our body. Uh, but no one can survive without breathing. Maybe a few seconds, you know, like Michael Phelps. I don't know how many seconds he's underwater, but he's underwater for a very long time. Makes him a super swimmer. Uh, but he can't stay in water all day because you need to come out to breathe. Um, so we uh, rely on breath. Psalm 146, 3 to 4 says, Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans to come to nothing. All right, so during the flood at the time of Noah, everything that breathed through its nostril uh, was drowned. So it was cut off. So they built civilization. You know, their, uh, the level of their civilization is perhaps more advanced than ours today. You know, we tend to think like Old Testament as they were like sticks and stones and starting fire with stones, <laughs> carving out wheels. It's not that. They were, they were pretty advanced. Even so, when God, um, you know, sent water from heaven and from un- underneath, everyone died, everything that lies uh, on breath. Jesus said, uh, then Matthew... Uh, 6.25 and 10.28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So what God wants to give life to is not our flesh but our spirit. It is our spirit. You know, a lot, even... Uh, Unfortunately, though, uh, a lot of Christians believe that believing in God is going to make their flesh healthier and happier. And that's why they go to church. Um, And that's what makes them religious, not men of faith. Of course, as long as our spirit is contained in our flesh, our flesh is valuable in the eyes of God. God does not allow us to abuse our bodies unnecessarily uh, through esoticism or whatever, meditation or just some overly extreme discipline for the flesh. He doesn't promote that. He wants, he has, our bodies are valuable as long as our spirit is contained in the body and we're living for the spirit. However, what God wants to get, where God wants to put life is not the flesh but the spirit. But for the spirit to live for itself while it, uh, it's in flesh on earth, then God also heals our body too. He heals our flesh. He takes care of our problems for our flesh as well. But the priority, number one thing, is the spirit. God wants to give life to our spirit. Um, in Hebrews 9, 27, it says, Just as man is destined to die once, so breath is cut off, man dies. And um, the word suke also appears in Acts 20, 24. Uh, This word suke uh, is what Paul used when he said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Uh, When he was talking about completing his task of testifying the gospel of God's grace, he was saying, my life is nothing to me. He was not speaking about the life in his spirit, but he was talking about suke, the the breath uh, life in the flesh. In Revelation 12, 11, it says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. They did not love their lives so much that they were beheaded for the word of God. And it's again talking about the flesh. Now, of course, this is all about the flesh. There is also life that God wants to give, truly wants to give, and the life that we should never give up, we should never make compromise for, is uh, Zoe. So Zoe, so hey Zoe, Zoe appears in John 1, 4, where it says, in him was life, let's read that, John 1, 
John 1 and 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. There it says, in him, but that him refers to the word. Of course, the word is whole logos, the logos. In logos was Zoe. Zoe. So Zoe, which is the name of our conference, our meeting, uh, uh, ministry, rather, in our church, uh, comes from that, the life that is in Jesus. The life that God truly wants to give is not Nefesh or Suke, but it is uh, Zoe. All right, so Zoe is in the Word. The Word who was with God in the beginning had Zoe in him as the Word. And in verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh. So when that Word became flesh, in the Word came also Zoe. So even though he was born of Mary and also had Su, it looked like he was born of Suke. The breath in him was Zoe. All right, so that flesh contains life. The flesh of Jesus contained life. Let's go to eleven uh, twenty-five. John eleven Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Just up to there. So this is why Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Of course, men who just saw Jesus as a man, mere man, just like them, did not understand what Jesus meant. But what Jesus was saying is who he is. He is God. He is life. The life that is in the word. So he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And the life that he wants to give is for the spirit. Now, the difference between our bodies and the body of Jesus is big. So our bodies are kept alive by breath, while the body of Jesus, the flesh of Jesus, is the life itself. Okay? So sometimes we, do, we know all this stuff, but putting it visually helps us kind of understand and appreciate more. So I like to have like table forms like this to compare. So our bodies are kept alive by breath, but the body of Jesus is not depending on suke, the life, the fish of the men of the flesh. It is life itself. Our bodies are made up of dust and water because dust comes from water, right? So after man dies, from the body comes, releases all its juice, so if you ever had someone die in your home or you've seen someone die, the bed is wet because all the stuff that they were holding once they're dead goes out. So comes out from their bladder, their whole body, it's wet because that's what we're made of, dust and water. The body of Jesus, uh, on the other hand, is the incarnate word, which means the word became flesh, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, right? So the incarnate word is his flesh, our bodies return to dust when the breath ends, but the body of Jesus never ends, never dies.
So because God gave the spirit to our flesh, we can receive the life of God into our spirit. So it's like container within container. You know, it's like those stack-in containers, Tupperware, Rubbermaid, whatever. And they, it's like a 10-piece set, but they all go into one container. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you guys hang out at Bed Bath or Container Store? I love Container Store. But anyway, it's just never go. I don't have time to go there. But when I go there, just the idea of organizing everything. Okay, so the container stacking, stacking. Never gets done now. I live with Bob, so it doesn't happen. So anyway, so the flat... <laughs> the flesh, those of you who are not in logos, I always make fun of them every, every other lecture. So the, uh, the flesh is like a container for the spirit. And if you will, the spirit is a container for the word of God, if you will. Right? So just to understand. So because God poured spirit into our bodies, our spirit can then receive the word of God to live. So then when it's filled with life and we live for that life, Every day, sharing that life with others, then when the day comes, when the Lord of life comes back, then the life in my spirit will become, will give body, will, will give life to that spirit so that the spirit can be transformed into body, bodies that are like Jesus, the body of Jesus. Transformation happens, not overnight, but every day as we live daily life as Christians. We live by life. We live for life. We live for, through life. And I'm talking about Zoe. Then in that day, we can enter eternal life. And that life is what 1 Peter 1.4 says. It doesn't spoil or fade away. Everything spoils and fades away. Everything in this world. So... Nothing in this world is living or, or, or the same uh, forever. Everything changes. Uh, but the life in Jesus, Zoe, does not spoil, does not fade away, does not change, has no end. It is everlasting. It is irrelevant to sin. It has no flaw, no blemish, no wrinkles. And that's what God wants to give us. That's what you are receiving through this word. Hallelujah. So in Ephesians 5.27, it says, To present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's the concept of life. Without blemish, wrinkle, or stain, or flaw. Uh, And Hebrews 7.3, Jesus is described to having no beginning or end. No end of days, no beginning of days. He is a priest forever. And Jesus alone can say uh, he is the resurrection and the life because of that. He has no beginning or end. He is the Alpha and Omega. That life is forever. Our life ends. The life in the flesh ends, but the life in him is forever. No religion or no religious figure referred to himself as life itself. No matter how great uh, Buddha might have been or even Dalai Lama today, who knows, and um, Muhammad, They never refer to themselves as the resurrection and the life. Only Jesus can say it because he alone is the resurrection and the life. Hallelujah. He alone. Religions rather end in nihilism. Like Hinduism, Buddhism, all end in nihilism. That's why the symbol of Buddhism is circled. Nothing. It's nothing. To be void. That's why they sit there going, hmm, to empty themselves. Sorry, but to make it real. Hmm. So hmm, they're doing that hmm because they're full of themselves. So they have to get, let go. Let go of women, let go of food, let go of fish, let go of meat, whatever. So they become nothing. So all of the religions, religious teachings are about being nothing. 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 
killing yourself, killing yourself of cravings and desires. But Jesus never kills, will never kill, because he is life. He alone is life. Hallelujah. That's the life he wants to give us. So Jesus is described as the Lord of life, the head and the beginning of life. He is the eternal life witnessed by his disciples. 1 John 1, 2 says, and uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 10 says, the life of Jesus. That's what we want to receive. And Jesus said in John 6.63, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. So the words that Jesus spoke, that we believe, that we remember, that we live by, are Uh, They are life. They are spirit. So that's the life that God wants to give us. The attribute of God is life. And he wants to bless us with life. And that's what he said in Deuteronomy 30, 19. Choose life. I put before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life. Choose life so that you and your children may live. That's what God God wants to uh, see uh, from us. The attitude that we should have is the desire to live. Even if you fall, even if you sin, even if you have no fruit, you disappoint others and you disappoint yourself. Of course, you disappoint God. But one thing you can't give up is this life. Each and every day, that even though we look, reflect and look back and we have so many regrets and shame, we can't give up. Because if we give up, we die. Spiritually die. Not this flesh. This flesh is going to die anyway. Whether you live on the streets or in a palace, doesn't matter. Whether you're a man or woman, whether you're healthy or sick, you die anyway. But the spirit will live once again and die once again. So this is the problem. If we give up life today, life in the spirit today, then we will regret for eternity. Eternity in hell. So we can't give up. So we need to desire life just as God desires for us. His plan is not to save men uh, for their flesh, but for their spirit. Because the flesh benefits nothing. We have to remember that. Jesus did not come to make this world a paradise. He did not come to save men from injustice or oppression or poverty or wars, diseases. He did not come to save us. That physical, material salvation. He showed us that by healing and feeding with, the two, with two fish and five loaves of bread as a sign, as a symbol of the spiritual salvation he would accomplish through his death and his resurrection. Yet many people calling themselves Christians, believe that Jesus is interested in in saving our bodies and our our world. They have no knowledge, no interest of uh, the Spirit. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that their bodies will not die. They believe that uh, as witnesses, they will have this life. Their job is to maintain this life while they are alive. So they believe that blood is life. From the Old Testament, Leviticus 17.11, life of of a creature is is in its lifeblood. So they don't give transfusion, right? They don't give blood to other people. They don't receive other people's blood because they believe that blood is going to live forever. But they're wrong. This flesh dies. So they believe that in that day, their flesh will resurrect. It's not the flesh that will resurrect. It's the spirit that's going to resurrect because the flesh, it has a time limit. It will expire. Let's go to John fifteen seven. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Also go to 1250. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say.
So Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. Remaining in Jesus, remaining in God, remaining in his word is remaining is life. Okay, so remaining in God, remaining in Jesus, remaining in the words of Jesus means you remain in life. And to sustain that life, you need to live by his command. So the way God gives us life is through command. So everything is in the form of command. Do this, don't do that. So the Old Testament, the Jews were trained from day eight. Early on with the circumcision, they, all their life was do this, don't do that. Don't touch this, don't look at that, don't go there, don't do this. Don't have a relationship with them, don't marry them, don't do this, right? It's all about that. They were getting all used to the command to live by physically. But spiritually, we, after Jesus, we are to live by his word, to stay alive spiritually so that we can remain we can become filled with that life so when that day comes, that Jesus comes back, that our spirit will be transformed into resurrected bodies. For that to happen, we have to receive his word as command. So God gives us um, word. But the word is in the form of command. And that's how we receive life. This is key. Because many people will say, oh, I like the worship. I like this church. People are nice. They have nice music. Nice. I feel good when I come into worship. A lot of people say that. I mean, maybe not Koreans because they don't really express. But Americans, you know, the American culture is more open. So they say, oh, I felt the presence of the Lord. It felt really good. It was awesome. Do you want to come back? I'll think about that, you know. (laughs) Do you want to come to Wednesday meeting? Oh, I'm busy. Back off. You know, it's like, back off. Don't call me, I'll call you. So they don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to uh, live by this sort of force. They don't like command, right? They like freedom because they don't want command. They don't want the word. They reject the word. Therefore, they have no life in their spirit. So to remain, to remain uh, in life, we have to remain in the word by receiving the word as command. That's the only way to do it. So God give, give, So in order for God to give us life, which is given through the word as the, in the form of command, this recipient has to have intelligence to understand, emotion to feel, and the free will to say, yes, sir, and do it. So to do that, He made us with, here we go, the person again, right? So angels, both angels and men have the person in order for us to receive the word, live by the word, obey the word. If we did not have the person, we would just be robots, nothing. There would be nothing. We couldn't understand the word. We couldn't receive it. So that's why. This is why God is so perfect. His plan is so perfect. I, don't even, I shouldn't even use the word so. It's just perfect. Perfect. The reason why we say so perfect is because we're not perfect. We have to accentuate. For real. It's for real. So real. But he is perfect, period. God is perfect. His script is perfect. What he has done is perfect. All right. So uh, from the Bible, we discover this fact that we are spiritual beings. We are a spirit. So what you want to do is 
first to accept this for yourselves, to live by this yourselves, and then to share with others and say, I'm a spirit. I'm a spirit. You know, I mean, of course, they, they repeat, I'm a spirit, I'm a spirit. But to really accept it, it takes time. You know, to change this thinking takes whole life, actually. But to accept it, to admit it, to acknowledge it is a huge step towards uh, salvation, towards uh, going you know, near God. So it is an amazing fact that we discover that we are spiritual beings. Again, um, many preachers talk about men dead in sin, saved by God's grace, redeem redemption for men, but they rarely use the word spirit in a soul. In our church, we say soul, soul. Have mercy on these souls. You know, save these souls. Your soul. This new soul came, pastor. You know, there's this new soul. We're the only ones who use that word. No one else, really. They all talk about, even though they're very spiritual, and I'm pretty sure they preach very few out there preached by the power of the Holy Spirit, but they don't use the word soul. I don't understand why. They say men. Right? It's all about men. But even though they may understand it somewhere in the back of their mind, we need to clarify for others to really know who we are. We are spiritual beings. So the reason why we need to share, to preach, is to share this life. The more we give it away, you got to give it, give it. Yeah, let's give it away. Right? So give it away. One's like, you want to do it with me here? <laughs> All time's sake? Anyway. <laughs> um, Got to give it, give it. The, life of, uh, the love of God, that's the life of God. The more we give it away, we don't run out. It's not like your gas tank. But it fills more and more. The more we give, the more joy we have. Isn't that true? When you finally bring that person that's sitting next to you, don't listen to anything, you're just happy. <laughs> because you have somebody sitting next to you, you finally brought someone. I mean, you just amen for everything. You cry for everything. <laughs> it's like tissue? Like, no, you use it. No, they don't need the tissue. You're the one who needs the tissue. But you're just moved by every little thing because you're so full of life. When you manage to give life away, you are full of life. You don't become empty. This is the magical about the life of Jesus. The more you give it away, the more filled you are. Amen? And that's what makes us such a blessed uh, people to be a preacher here. On the Lord's Day, who's the most filled with life? It's me. Everyone else could be falling asleep, but I'm awake because I'm the one who's preaching and I'm filled with life. That's why it's such a joy and such a blessing. So uh, in the world and in our society, uh, physicians, doctors, surgeons are respected because they extend breath. That's what they do. By cutting out cancerous cells, tumors, fixing people, medicating them, treating them, they extend their breath extent. But cancers come back, people eventually die. But what we do as preachers is we give life to the spirit. And that's the most rewarding and the most blessed job. So take it as an honor that you have this job. That even though, even though you don't, you're not a doctor and people go, oh, you're a doctor. You know, we, that's what we do in the world. But we have a better job, more rewarding, more precious job that we're doing, which is to share life with others. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, now we go to the life after death. All right, so the first, um, when flesh dies, it returns to the, to the ground. After death, the flesh returns to, to dust. But the spirit, the way it should happen is to return to God.
But the problem is not everyone returns to God, right? Because if they have sin in their spirit, they don't return to God. Um, after Adam sinned, all men sinned because through one man came sin, uh, as the Bible says. We are connected to Adam because we all came from him, not just the flesh, but our spirit. He's the living being. He's our ancestor. We are all living being because of him. So whatever happened to his living being, which was sin, therefore death, happened to us. Even though we, are, we don't even know the guy. It was so long ago. 6,000 or 7,000. I don't even know the guy. Why am I? You know, it's not fair. But it, it is fair because you were born the way you are. You were born as Adam. We're born as Adam. So when he sinned, we all sinned. When his spirit died as a result of sin, we died in him, with him. Therefore, even though we are supposed to return to God as spirit, we cannot return to God because of sin. Uh, so, so men, but of course by believing in Jesus, we can become cleansed. But those who have spirit not cleansed, still in sin and therefore dead, will not go back to God, but will remain in Hades and later, later on um, be thrown into hell. Let's go to Luke 16.22. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So there um, is a very a clear example of what happens after life, uh, after death, the life after death. Um, both men died, but Lazarus, only Lazarus went up to, was carried up to Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. While the rich man doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't say. So when the Bible says something and doesn't say other things, this is very, very important. It doesn't, it's not because mistake. The writer didn't, you know, Luke didn't skip it. It's like, oh, I forgot to describe about the guy. It's not. There, it's, it's in there and not in there for a reason. It's in there for Lazarus to go up to Abraham's side because he did. Whereas the rich man didn't go anywhere. That's why it doesn't describe it. Okay, so he didn't go anywhere. And in hell, he was in torment. Now, in English, it says in hell, but if you look at Greek uh, Bible, it says in Hades, in Hades, this man was in torment. So we need to understand uh, the subtle differences of what hell is in certain contexts and, and others. So first, we need to uh, explain, know first and explain where uh, Hades is. So where is Hades? First, uh, Hades refers to earth or underworld. So uh, in Isaiah 14, 15, describing the fall of the angel, it says, um, you are cast down to the depths of the pit. And that depth of the pit uh, in Hebrew is Sheol. And the depths of the pit uh, in English, another word for English is under, underworld. But another thing that's interesting about Hades, Hades or Hades, uh, in Hebrew, uh, in Greek, is that, you know, Greek is just so versatile. It is one, but it is everything. So Hades can mean earth, but also mean underworld, and can mean the universe. So that's 
good and bad about uh, the Greek language. It's very uh, versatile and um, sort of elastic, if you will. So Hades uh, refers to the world. Jesus said, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the key. Uh, as uh, Jesus was speaking to Peter about building his church, he said, the gates of, the ha- gates of Hades will not overcome it. Meaning, the church will be built in Hades. Now, if Hades were hell, the church couldn't be there. We're in where the church is. So, uh, Matthew 16, 18 clearly dis- differentiates or locates uh, what Hades is, what H- Hades is, and that's the world. It also includes the abyss, in Luke 8, 26 and 31. So Sheol, uh, meaning underworld, underground, is included in the concept of Hades, uh, also the abyss. In Luke 8, 20, uh, in chapter 8, it talks about the demon-possessed men who lived uh, in, the, in the tomb. Um, in Luke, it says um, one man, but in Matthew, it's two men. But anyway, so they were demon-possessed. They lived uh, in, uh, in an area called Gerasene, and Gerasene, uh, was by the sea. It's an area uh, associated with the abyss because of this incident. So when the demon-possessed man came to Jesus and said, why have you come to torture us before our time, our proper time? Which means that the unclean spirits that were possessing his body were supposed to be thrown into the abyss because at some point they have to be. And then, because uh, they recognize Jesus as who he is, then they begged Jesus. Then Jesus threw them into where? To the pigs. They went to the pigs. Okay, so they went to the pigs, and the pigs all went and, and died. And this, was, uh, this occurred to re- uh, reveal that demons are real, unclean spirits are uh, real. We don't have time to go into that example, but uh, abyss appears there. So the abyss... So let's say this is the first heaven, the earth. Um, so this whole world it can be called Hades, including all around earth and underground earth. And perhaps that's where the abyss is, underground. Right? A lot of people think that where is hell? They think about under uh, earth, the center of the earth, um, where you know the beginning of volcano is. It's it's pretty much fire underneath the earth. Um, so they tend to think that the devil is in hell already. Unbelievers are already there under the center of the earth. But that's not what the Bible says. As we learned last, we were reviewed, which is the whole place is called Hades. And it will become hell, even though it's not burning right now. So then we have to talk about where believers go after death. So we said in uh, Luke 16, 22 there, he went to Abraham's side. Lazarus went to Abraham's side. Abraham's side is where believers of the Old Testament go to after they die. But in the New Testament, the word uh, Abraham's side does not appear. We don't go, we believers today don't go to Abraham's side after we died. Because that's only for the Old Testament. In the New Testament, where do believers go? to paradise after they die. And paradise is a place where spirits of those who are saved by the blood of Jesus first go and wait for their resurrection. 
where everyone has to wait for resurrection. But before going to the Father's house, paradise is a waiting area. You know, before you go see the doctor, you wait at the reception. Um, or before you get your haircut, you wait in the lobby, the reception area. So the haircut place is the father's, place, father's house, and the lobby is paradise. So last week I didn't get to draw, but paradise, where is paradise? Uh, paradise perhaps is part of the third heaven. Not second heaven. But not in the entirety of the third heaven. Part of the third heaven, which is spiritual heaven, but it's separate. So in the Old Testament, it is called Abraham's side or bosom in the New King James Version. In the New Testament, it's paradise. So when Jesus died, the two spaces became one. It's considered as one. It's not separate. There's Abraham's side is not here, and then paradise is over there. It's just considered as, as one. So when Jesus died, he looked at the, uh, the thief who said, Jesus, please save me. You know, I believe you're the Savior. Jesus said, you'll be with me. In paradise today. So with his death, it's called paradise. All right, so it's absorbed into one. However, we do need to distinguish the two because the order of resurrection is different for these people and these uh, people, some of those people. Then you need to talk about unclean spirits. Unclean spirits... Um, are those spirits who left their bodies without having relationship with, with Jesus. Okay? Uh, they're unclean because they were not cleansed by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus cleanses. It cleans. But they are unclean, unclean because they, never, they don't have the blood of Jesus because of sin. Right? So everyone who's alive today who doesn't believe is an unclean spirit. But we don't actually call them unclean spirit. We still call them soul because they have a chance, right? Um, but they all have, they're born unclean. We were all born unclean at some point. Uh, at one point. But at, one, so at some point, we accept the blood of Jesus, we receive the blood of Jesus, we washed away our sins by the blood of Jesus in our spirit while we're alive. But those, while they were alive, they didn't wash by the blood of Jesus, they stay unclean, they lose the flesh, then they're called unclean spirit, okay, Un, uh, or demons. But unclean spirit is more technically correct. I mean, that's what it is. Just say unclean spirit, and it is what it is. Unclean spirits remain in Hades. They don't go to hell. They remain here on earth. Jesus said in uh, John 13, 8 to Peter, when Peter said, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. No part. Meaning no relationship. So the, the reason, the, the way we have relationship with Jesus is through his blood. So when we receive his blood, we have relationship. We call him Savior, my King Savior. Right? So we, and he's our Father. So the blood makes us into, brings us into relationship with Jesus, with God. Without blood, we have no relationship. So then uh, Matthew 12, 43 says, the spirit goes from places to places looking for rest, but it does, uh, they do not find rest. And of course, you can talk about the lifespan on earth. On earth is 120 years. 
Okay, so lifespan. How long can anyone stay uh, in the world uh, for either in flesh or out of flesh? For 120 years. Okay, so uh, if you live for 120 years and you die, you go to express, express lane, easy pass to the abyss, to the abyss, okay? Uh, because it's not hell yet, so you go, you go there. Uh, if you die at the age of 100, without, as an un unbeliever, unbeliever lives for 20 years on earth as unclean spirit, and then he's tossed into the abyss. If the unbeliever dies at the age of one as a baby, even a baby, if he's not un uh, cleansed, uh, through the mother's faith, in that sense, spiritually connected, um, then the baby's, the spirit is unclean spirit uh, around 419 years. So 120 years is how long anyone can remain on earth, either in flesh or in spirit. So the unclean spirits who remain on earth before they're thrown into the abyss will go from places to places seeking rest, not places, but bodies, men. Okay? So the reason why we need to preach to our families, just bluntly why, is to save them, number one. And number two, if we don't save them, their unclean spirits are enemies. Your relationship with your family member ends as soon uh, the moment they stop breathing. That's it. So, and if you're not so sure where they went, then don't even think about it. Because in the case they went to heaven, they went to paradise... They're not going to get insulted if you say, you get out, you unclean spirit of my uncle. They're not going to be in paradise. What did you say? They're not going to do that. But in case there's unclean spirit, then you need to insult them and drive them out in the name of Yeshua. No, that's it. So uh, while they're alive, you try. But once they're dead, that's it. So we need to try to save them. Um, therefore, the last part is resurrection. I, you know, I'm sorry, actually, we'll just leave it there for now. Um, many people think that only believers resurrect. Both unbelievers and believers think that only Christians will resurrect. But this is incorrect. Everyone will resurrect. Uh, everyone will resurrect either to life or to condemnation. To go to heaven or to be sent to hell. So that's why the issue of salvation is important. If there is no resurrection, you don't need to believe. You don't need to be in church 10 o'clock at night on Saturdays. You don't need to be. But because there is um, resurrection, we fear hell. We fear the punishment, uh, the possibility of going, going to hell. Uh, so we do our best to run the other way. Jesus Christ is the first, resurrection, first fruit of resurrection. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Also go to John 5, 29. And the latter part of, the, of that verse, those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. These are good passages to show for resurrection, that everyone resurrects, both good and the evil. Um, so Jesus Christ is the first fruit of resurrection. He is the first sample. So he showed us, he, he as a sample showed to his disciples what it's like to be resurrected. That uh, by coming and saying, do you have anything to eat? And you can say, Jesus is always eating. Why is he always looking for food? The reason why he was uh, asking it for food was to show them what it was like to live in the spiritual body. That it's like a real body. That he was eating, touching, feeling 
Not that we're going to go to heaven and eat fish. We're not going to eat in heaven. We don't need to eat or drink in heaven because those are things, matters of the world, of the flesh. However, Jesus asked for food to show them that it is real body. So it's a spiritual body. It's a body that they can touch and see and feel. So Jesus, when he died and rose, he died with the same body and he rose with the same body. Nothing changed about him. Okay, so his body that has Zoe in it died, but that's why in Hebrews it says he tasted death. It was only for three days, not even three days, just brief, a moment, and then he rose. It's the same body. But our resurrection, on the other hand, that's waiting for us, is not this flesh, but it's our spirit that will become the body. Okay, so everyone will resurrect in the end. The resurrection to life, as we just read in 529 there, those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Those who have done good are referring to the resurrection to life. The resurrection to life is the reward that we are waiting for. The resurrection to life or the first resurrection. So these are the same thing, referring to a reward. So this is something given not by grace, but by our own deeds. We have to work for it. Salvation from sin and death, from our past sin, from the fire of hell, was by grace, by the blood of Jesus. But to finally be resurrected to life and to go to third heaven and see Jesus face to face, we have to participate in the first resurrection, the resurrection to life, which occurs at the rapture, at the return of Jesus. So this process right now, Jesus described in Matthew um, 13, 47, 50. Jesus gave a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. And when it was full, the fishermen pulled out and sorted the fish, good and bad. The good fish they will take, the bad fish they will throw out. So this process is right now. We are being sorted out to be risen to life or to be risen to be condemned. And that's determined by what we do today. It's determined by what we do. So this is where the free will comes in. Intelligence, emotion, and free will. We use all aspects of the person to work towards the first resurrection, the resurrection to life. Because it all depends on what we do today. It depends on how we live today. It is all depending on us. So it's fair. God is so fair. Fairly, freely, unilaterally, he gave grace. All. Then he gives us chance, equal chance for all to run towards the prize. So we are all in a race to run towards that goal, the re reward, which is the first resurrection. Um, those who are sorted to be wicked, those who are risen to be condemned, will participate in something called the second uh, death. I'm sorry, I'm not going to go there yet. So, uh, Revelation 20, 13, 14 says the second death. So the resurrection to condemnation is called to second death. To be thrown into the second death. There's the Revelation 20, 13 to 14 talk about um, second death where death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. So where you want to do as you close this talk, 
uh, is that men live twice and die, uh, dies twice. Man lives twice, dies twice. You know, that's like a shocking message. How does a man die and live twice? Die and live twice. So we live in the body and we die in the body once. Then our spirit can live or die twice. Live twice or die twice. And it, depending, it depends on what we do today. So those who have life in their spirit and live for their life, they're resurrected to life. But they have no life in their spirit, they will resurrect to condemnation. So second death does not end. It is forever. So you can uh, then talk about this, and as a preacher, isn't it painful to just get a burn in your finger, a paper cut? It really hurts. It stings. When the water gets there, salt gets there, it stings. But what about a pain that, leave, that lasts forever? Or the fear that lasts forever, or darkness and isolation forever. Can you go there? Can you be there? That's called the second death, hell. And they say, no, of course not. Even if they don't believe and you say, you want to go to hell? They say, no. Right? So there's the conversation right there. Even if they don't believe it, they don't want to go there. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to hear it because they fear. Everyone has that fear. So we need to work with that fear there. And then we talk, if, if we further, we go to the order of resurrection. It's a lot of item, but it's, uh, it's late, and I'm going to just show it to you. So it's all from uh, Logos. First, Jesus Christ, who is the first uh, fruit of resurrection, um, and saints who participate in the first resurrection. This happens at the second uh, coming. I think I have my animation wrong. The dead, the rest, will come out to the second resurrection. Somewhere in between two and three are believers, but I didn't put that in there, but I, I just wanted to sort out the order of resurrection. There's the First fruit of resurrection, the only resurrection that has taken place is that of Jesus Christ. And when he comes back, then we participate in the first resurrection, or we want to, we hope to. And then the rest come out to the second resurrection after a thousand years of ruling or the millennium. If you don't have time, you can take pictures of that. That's what Europeans do. That's what I learned. You can take your phone and take a picture if you don't want to write the whole thing. You know, like, why didn't we think about that? But they think about this stuff ahead of time. They're all taking pictures. I hope they don't delete them, but <laughs> that they remember to go home and download and look at it and copy it. All right, so that's the order in which it happens. Jesus first, the first resurrection, and then the second, which is the last I hope you took a picture of that, not of me, all right? <laughs> okay? The, and the, uh, then where they go after that is the location, destination. Where do they go after they're resurrected? So each group goes to different location. Um, depending on which uh, resurrection you participate in that you come out to. There's only two, the first and the, and the, and the second. Um, you definitely might want to take a picture of this. Saints uh, come out to the first resurrection. They go to the New Jerusalem. That's the holy city, the Father's house. Okay? So if you want to go to the Father's house where I want to go, we need to come out to the first resurrection, period. That's it. That's the goal that we have. Believers who died before Jesus came back if, you don't, if, you, if we're not sure about the first resurrection, we can do another thing. It's to wish to die before Jesus comes back. You can't make that happen on your own. You can't die on your own. But 
pray that it happens. Maybe that does. That's the second resurrection. They will go to the dark place um, outside the city. Now, this does not include the first saints, all right? Like Paul and Peter, these guys would most likely come out to the first resurrection, even though they died before Jesus, okay? So these believers are not saints. So they are at the time of Jesus coming back, and they died before Jesus comes back. There are believers also who are alive when Jesus comes back, or after, believers. They come out to the second resurrection as well. They also go to the outside, dark place. Then there's the Old Testament believers like Abraham, David, uh, Daniel, all those guys, even John the Baptist, uh, come out to the second resurrection. They also go to the out. Uh, they go outside the dark, dark place. Then the rest are unbelievers, the dead. They come out to the second resurrection, not to go to outside of the city, but to hell. So when you talk about outside, you have to mention the Father's house, and somewhere here in the spiritual place is a dark place is a dark place outside the city where they will weep and gnash their teeth forever. Right? Jesus said, Lord, Lord, and say, I don't know you. I, will not, I, know, I don't know you. Get out. Throw him out to the dark place. And they will weep and gnash their teeth. You know, many years ago, I always talk about this. Some, one of the youth group teachers, he's not with us anymore, but he said, after all this explain, I was like, explain all this. And he goes, I have a question. I said, what? Is, is outside that bad? Is the dark place really bad? Because he was listening and going, I don't think I'm going to make it to the holy city. Is outside that bad? I said, work to go to the house inside. Work, to go. work hard to aim to go to inside, not outside. I don't think about outside now. We need to work towards the holy city. We need, to work, we need to work towards the Father's house. That's where glory is. That's where the Lamb is seated. That's where we will serve him forever as priests. That's the goal that we have. Amen? Our lives are for with the purpose of being saved, but we have the goal that is the first resurrection. Only through the resurrection to life, only through the first resurrection we can have eternal life. If we don't participate in the first resurrection, then we have a chance. There's a likelihood that we may not be saved. That's why we have to work out our salvation in trembling and fear. It's not enough that we speak in tongues, that we belong to Church of Jesus. It's not enough that we know this stuff in our heads. We have to use our knowledge, our feelings, our emotions, our free will, all three aspects, to work towards that goal. The goal is the first resurrection. Amen? The goal is the first resurrection. The goal that we have is the resurrection to life. If we don't participate, even the little faith that we have, may, we may lose. And then some of us will go to hell. We don't want that. We pray that we all will be resurrected in that, life, in that day. So we don't want to be believers. We want to become saints. Believers are those who believe, who called on the name of Jesus and were saved. But that's, that's all. Saints are those who wash their robes. Wash their robes by the word, by the word every day. We are washed by the blood of Jesus, all of us. But what makes difference between believers and saints is those who wash by the word, who live by the word, who obey the word, who carry the word. So our job as we preach this and as we reveal view this is to be, res be resolved, be determined to run towards the goal and never look back. Never look back. It's the same thing. Last week too, I said Lot and his family, their job was to not turn back, not look back, not slow down. We can't go back. We have to run towards the prize. We have to open our eyes to this. And if we have a conviction and we're passionate about it, other people will see that. You know, that you have to be passionate. You need your emotion. You can't just be like this first resurrection and that's this is hell. 
Okay, all right, that's nice. But if you are really convicted, you, you, you have that conviction and you're moved, you are passionate about it, they, won't not, they can't fully understand everything, they can't fully get it, but they are moved by your passion. So mobilize your passion, mobilize your emotion so that you can communicate this to others as well as to yourself. We have a goal and that is to see Jesus when he comes back. Amen? We have a choice to remake our bodies. We, don't have a cho- we didn't have a choice in terms of who our parents were going to be, how we're going to look, what kind of people we're going to be. I didn't have an option that I was going to be a Korean or a, a female. I didn't have an option about that. I didn't have an option about how tall I was going to be or how I look or how smart or how emotional I am. I had no choice about that. It was just given. But I have a choice. I have a choice. The one choice that I have is to remake my image. That's through the resurrection to life. I want to be resurrected like Jesus was. I want to have the body of Jesus. I want to be transformed into the glorious body of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's all pray. Let's pray all in one voice that we can work towards this goal. This is the goal that we all have. We will all resurrect in that day. And when Jesus comes back, we want to do our best to live this day, to be lifted up, to see Jesus in the air, face to face. So let's pray that we can have the faith, that we can have the willpower to press on until the end. Yeshua! Yeshua, our Lord. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your precious blood. And we thank you for including us in this great plan of yours. We thank you for the chance you have given us to live with you and to live like you forever. We thank you for the life you have given us through your blood. We pray that as we were reminded tonight to live by the word, Obey your command and follow you until the end. Our desire is to be where you are, to be with you forever. And it is to see your face when you come back to the air. Until that day comes, Father, no matter how difficult it gets, let us not give up. Let us not turn back. Let us not slow down. Help us to press on towards the goal, which is to be transformed into glorious bodies like that of yours and to dwell in your house, to serve you face to face in that place. Father, give us strength and the faith that we need to press on. Help us to live by the the life that is in your word. Help us to speak these words and to share life through these words. Help us to hold on to this life and never give it away, never lose it. As we are reminded of this great truth help us to go out and share send us souls father send us souls so we may share this truth with them so they too can be saved from this fire from this burning hell so that we can all be there in that day we pray that through this sharing to tonight that you alone be glorified for you alone truly deserve all praise and all honor and all glory and we love you father in your name yeshua we pray amen